Hello, you're joining Alex Stewart for the very first Low Tox Life show, the very first podcast. I'm so excited. Now, there are so many topics I have in the wings for you guys. Um, at this point in time, I've pre-recorded actually seven shows. So when I was trying to decide which show do I bring everybody first, I thought I would bring us something to break down some of the barriers, some of the embarrassment, some of the taboo, some of the shame around poo. Why? Uh, because I believe to live the low-tox life, a beautiful conscious life where we thrive and we make gorgeous choices for our health, for the planet's health, poo is one of the most powerful windows into the soul of our overall health picture. And there are just so many fascinating things about this topic. So I've invited Helen Patteron onto the show to chat to us today. Helen is an incredible holistic practitioner, naturopath and clinical nutritionist, and she has over 15 years experience as a practitioner. So this woman has seen a lot and she's talked about poo a lot and it's one of her favorite subjects to talk about. Like, why would it not be, right? So I've invited Helen along. There is no uh, stone left unturned. <laughs> I'm just going to read into everything as a poo pun. I know I will. Um, no stone left unturned in today's interview. I've even asked personal questions about myself recovering from antibiotics, having had a recent surgery. So there's some really interesting twists and turns we take, everything from how poo should be what is not so good and you should go get checked out and how we can build super healthy digestive systems so that we can obtain these crazily elusive perfect poops that she talks about in this episode. So I hope you enjoy the first show. Uh, I hope you stop thinking that you can't talk about your poo with your practitioner or your doctor because it's a great place to start when you've been feeling a bit iffy because it can just tell us so much. So enjoy today. Welcome to this Low Tox Life podcast first episode kickoff. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Helen, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Alex. How are you? I'm so fantastic. And you know, like it's making me giggle. It so shouldn't make me giggle, but we're talking poo today. Oh, and I love it. I love to talk about poo. I talk about poo every day, Alex. Well, so. I know you do in your clinical practice, but the problem yeah. is most of us don't, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, for some reason, it's not only just in clinic for me. It happens at um, uh, family dinners and, and lunch times and all sorts of places where you might not expect to be talking about poo. But um, obviously, it's on my mind a lot. There's actually a shop I drive past sometimes in Roselle and it's called the Stool Shop. And I just, it makes me giggle every time I drive past it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, if for anyone out there who's listening who's Australia-based, uh, there's the Who Gives a Crap um, company who sell incredible um, toilet paper and, well, if toilet paper can be described as incredible, it's more what they do <laughs> with their profit share that's incredible, doing incredible work for clean water projects and um, toilet building in developing world countries. But um, but they are the kings of the poo pun. Yeah, and it is, we've, I mean, got it, a, we've got a couple of bathrooms full of who gives a crap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just magic to get their emails for the simple fact that it's like great comedic reading. It's so funny. Anyway. <laughs> We're here to talk much more clinically about um, the whole poo thing today. But can I, can just for the people who don't know you, mm. um, can you just tell us a little bit about your career so far? You know what got you into um, clinical practice in the holistic sense, as opposed to maybe the medical model and yeah, you know? yeah, sure. So I am a naturopath and nutritionist and herbalist, and I have been practicing. Uh, since 2001, so a good 15 years now. And um, I guess what brought me into this line of work in the first place was a couple of things. One was my own health growing up. Um, from the beginning, had a lot of things going on with asthma and eczema, recurrent infections, recurrent bronchitis, um, digestive issues was the first thing I remember going to see a doctor for, joint pains as a child, or, you know, you name it. I had a lot of um, inflammatory and kind of immune and digestive things going on. And I guess 
I was always a little bit of a greenie and a carer as well. So I had been looking at doing things like nursing or being a park ranger after leaving school. And um, so when I came across naturopathy, I thought, oh, well, that's actually a really nice blend of the the natural world and and, um, caring. And I had been playing around um, as a teenager with some essential oils with my niece and noticed that she would respond really positively when she was ill when I'd use them. So it really just piqued my interest. And so that's how I got into the naturopathic field. And um, then, yeah, I guess 15 years in clinic consistently, I've um, done a bit of writing as well, um, a chapter on paediatrics for a a clinical textbook called Clinical Naturopathic Medicine. Um, I've also written uh, Bubba Yum Yum, The Paleo Way um, with Pete Evans and Charlotte Carr, which is a great resource for um, new parents and grandparents. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we love it. So we're very proud of it. It was a lot of work and and definitely a labour of love, but really happy that we um, have it out there now. So... Um, yes, and working on a few other projects at the moment as well, another book coming up and, um, and the like. So a bit of a varied um, career and um, always plenty on the go, yeah. Always plenty on the go, that's <laughs> the way we like it. Yeah. Um, so Pooh's really interesting and the reason I've brought you in to talk about this is not only because I know you're super passionate about mm-hmm. um, de-tabooing this um, mm. discussion yeah um but also because you're a great clinician and you really love getting into the science um behind why things are the way they are and how we can improve them in the mm. clinical setting but in terms of lifestyle how much we can do mm. um a figure i know that you mentioned is 80 percent of everybody's health problems can be done right at home but with a few small changes yeah so, that's right yeah, and the thing with poo that I find super interesting is that when we're a new parent, you've mm. got your baby, mm. it's the only thing you talk about <laughs> with everybody. <laughs> Everyone's talking about the poo and you yeah. know that when the child is sick before they can even talk, you know that one of the best ways you can tell if they've got an infection brewing is mm. that their poo changes. Mm. Why do we stop talking about poo? Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? That mm. Suddenly it all of a sudden becomes taboo and this... Um, you know, this icky, gross thing that we no longer talk about. I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's a whole host of different reasons, but I kind of live in a bubble where talking about poo is <laughs> quite normal. So um, I don't, I'm not inhibited by, by the taboos, that's for sure. And I think it's so important to be able to talk about it because it is one of the best thing. you know, everybody does it, right? Some people do it too much. Some people don't do it enough, but everybody does it. And it is an opportunity for everybody to have a glimpse at what is going on inside um, the gut. And what is going on in the gut is a big reflection of or a big um, uh, trigger for what can go on elsewhere in the body as well. So, you know, um, Hippocrates said hundreds of years ago that all health or all disease begins in the gut. So knowing what's going on there and understanding that um, gives us a lot of empowerment to be able to improve our health in many ways. It really, really does. Uh, and, like, maybe we should start with the 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 visual of poo. Mm-hmm. So you see right. it. What's good poo? What's bad poo? What's too much? What's not enough? Talk us through it. Yeah. So shall we um, start with the ideal poop first? Yep. Let's go. Okay. Let's go with the perfect world scenario. Okay. Good plan. So let's go for a good poop. So basically what we're aiming for is when you're going to the loo, you need to be having a bowel motion at least once a day, okay? So ideally two to three times a day, but you want it to be once. And when you go, you want it to feel like it's a complete evacuation, not like you've still got some um, tenants in the bowels, right? So everything's got to be moved out. That's when you're going to get that nice endorphin rush. Everyone knows how good a good poo feels. Or everyone who's done a good poo knows how good a good poo Really? So we release endorphins after a good poo. That's why it feels so good. Wow. (laughs) That's hilarious. I didn't know that. Great. There you go. So you want um, size and shape-wise, you're aiming for something like a big banana or um, something with a little bit of an S shape because that kind of represents the the shape of your colon basically. And you're looking for one to two inches in diameter 
and uh, up to 18 inches long. So you inches. Wanna, yeah, you want to pass as a, quite a reasonable amount of matter. Okay. Now, smell-wise, it's not all just about how it looks. Smell-wise, you want it to have a good neutral earthy smell, nothing offensive, yeah? Um, Colour-wise, you want a good mid-brown. I often have a paint chart from the hardware store in my room so people can point to their poop colour for me. Um, And texture-wise, you want it to be soft but formed so it's easy to pass. It doesn't take much wiping, if any. There's no straining or staining or smearing and, um, yeah, as I mentioned before, a nice complete evacuation. Wow. So that's what we're after. And I think there might be quite a few people out there who, like me, just went 18 inches. You've got (laughs) to be kidding me. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, it does depend somewhat on um, obviously the individual and um, what they're eating, how much they're eating, um, what their activity levels are like. All these kinds of things do affect um, the amount of poop you're going to pass. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, up to... So, so not you're not necessarily looking at 18 inches, but up to 18 inches. <laughs> okay, cool. Now, okay, so what are some of the not so desirable um, outcomes? Okay, so we've got um, quite a few to to keep an eye on. So, and if you've got any digestive issues at home, I, I really recommend that. Um, definitely start taking note and and encourage your kids to do so as well and if you need to make a chart or something with these kinds of observations on there then then do that because when you do go to see a health practitioner um, particularly someone along the naturopathic or nutrition lines this is a very valuable information okay Mm. and you mentioned there encourage your kids Uh, I think that's a really important one because most parents will spend the first four years of a small child's life mm. going, oh, God, I can't believe I need to clean up this small human's poo again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we finally get to that phase where they can do it themselves, everyone's high-fiving, off they yeah. go, close yeah. the door, and we're not involved in their poo anymore. So if yeah, we're not yeah. staying open about that conversation with them and making them feel like they should come to us or know um, mm. for themselves when something's not quite right, that's yeah. not so good. So it's important that we don't leave them to their own devices. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And I mean, it, I think it's good to, you know, can't just make light of the conversation as well. It doesn't have to be this, you know, embarrassing yeah. thing to talk about. And um, uh, I think you've met Willow Shah's little yeah. boy and obviously Pooh's been a big part of their conversation over the years. So, you know, he'll do a poo and he'll come out and be like, I did a good one, mum, or <laughs> it's a bit runny today or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just really engage in that conversation so you can know what's going on um, because it tells us a lot. So what kind of things to look for? Now, colour-wise. yeah. If it's a bit pale, then often it can be an indication that your liver might need a bit of support because you're not producing enough bile. Um, If the colour is affected by food, so if it's green after you've eaten heaps of greens or red after you've had beetroot, this is the beetroot test, by the way, Mm. um, if that is affecting the colour of your stool, then you want to look at stimulating your digestive acids, your stomach acids. Okay. If you're producing enough stomach acids, then basically that will break down the pigments. So regardless of what you're eating, unless you have something like charcoal or or there's a few medications as well, mm. but basically regardless of what you're eating, it should come out looking the same beautiful brown colour. That is so interesting Mm -hmm. because before I did some digestive work a couple of years ago, I definitely failed that beetroot test. It Mm. was always like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with my food? You know, before you kind of joined the dots and went, ah, ate beetroot, all good. Yeah, that's right. I've um, spoken to quite a few people over the years who've had a panic about, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. No, it's just beetroot. Yeah, so that's something we should get you know some work yeah done it's a it's yeah. a good little clue okay I need to stimulate my digestion so um and I've noticed in the past as well like if I am um 
in you know good nick not stressed eating well chewing my food all that all the things that we um should ideally be doing then yeah things like beetroot aren't going to affect me but if i've been really tired or stressed and therefore perhaps not digesting so well that's when i'll notice it will affect my stool Mm, and that is such an interesting thing to mention the word the s word stress Mm -hmm. yeah because stress takes us away from being great digesters absolutely and puts our energy in our um extremities doesn't it it's that fight or flight thing yeah yeah so you know there's so much to be said for even if you've got a busy hectic life you Mm. know so many of us do these days to not let it overtake us and to make sure mm. we have a couple of moments in the day, you know, even if it's 10 minutes, of just Absolutely. breathing and bringing our adrenals down and chilling so yeah. that we, even right before a meal, that would just yeah. be an incredible thing to do. Yeah, even mm. just a one-minute pause before yeah. take, take 10 deep breaths and, yeah, you'll digest a lot better. Mm. Interesting. And it's funny, isn't it? You know, we laugh at even if you're not religious, you'd appreciate the notion of grace or giving thanks for a meal Mm. and sitting down and, Mm. you know, um, and uh, my family doesn't do that. But we do have a little chat and and then we say bon appetit and it's like a little precursor to the meal. That's right. Which is just a lovely. It is part of digestion. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Very interesting. Okay, keep going. So colour-wise, again, we're still on colour. So if it is black, um, this is where you want to definitely be taking note and getting um, looked at straight away. So if you're getting black in your stools, um, unless you've been taking, you know, poorly absorbed iron or poor forms of iron supplements um, or you've been taking activated charcoal or something like that, mm-hmm. black in the stool can be from bleeding um further up the intestines so by the time the blood gets um to the um bowels it's gone black so if it's bright red blood that you're noticing usually that's um from hemorrhoids or fissures um and is quite common when there's been a history of constipation uh for example so um color wise there that's what you're looking out for you don't want your um poop to be floating right on top um If it is, then that can be a sign that you're not breaking down your fat so well because fat will make poo float. Um, If it's hard or in pieces or you're having an incomplete evacuation, then that's basically constipation. So some people think I'm going to the toilet every day so I'm not constipated, but constipation goes beyond that. You need to be having a complete evacuation and you need to be able to pass stool without any straining. Um, otherwise you could uh, still be constipated. Mm, Um, We'll come back to that a couple of times for a couple of different reasons, but, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and then undigested food in your stool can be an indication of not enough digestive acid production or um, inadequate pancreatic enzyme production. So looking again at ways to stimulate your digestive acids and enzymes would be important then. Um, if your stools are really skinny rather than being nice and fat, um, that can be an indication of a couple of things. One, it can be an indication of overflow basically or a bit of bowel obstruction. Now that could be from um, impacted feces. So basically this is a kind of constipation where you've got so much um, Feces that is basically stuck to the lining of the gut wall that there's only a really narrow um, tube left through oh. which stool can pass and so then you get these skinny poos. Mm-hmm. Um, skinny poos or ribbon-like poos can also be an indication of obstruction from um, tumours and things like that though. So that's in the extreme um, situation but it is important to, you know, keep bear in mind that... Um, it's not always just constipation. Yeah, um, and it's not normal. Go see someone about right. it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Either way, do something about it because constipation can increase your risk of things like bowel cancer as well. So if you are doing those skinny poos, um, you want to get that fixed anyway. Absolutely. And I really want to stress here find a health practitioner partner to work with don't mm, assume don't you do just it. go to the chemist yeah and take you know um some sort of fiber shake that they try and sell you for constipation because you could do yourself more harm than good um because you're not addressing what's causing it in the first place 
That's absolutely right, mm. yeah. So um, then, again, uh, textualise if you've got loose stools. Uh, that can be a sign of a number of things. It could be food sensitivities or intolerance, um, things like celiac disease. It could be parasite infection like... Um, Blastocystis or Diantamoeba fragilis. Oh, that's what um, my son had. Yeah, uh, yeah, all all fun little bugs to address. Oh, and uh, the, that was um, that was the smelliest poo I've ever witnessed yeah, in my life. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. So if it smells offensive, then usually there is either an overgrowth or infection. So overgrowth of bacteria or yeast or an infection from parasites. Um, if it's got a really strong sulfury smell, that can be an indication of the parasite giardia. So um, having a look at addressing that would be important. If it's quite explosive, um, it can be explosive for a couple of reasons. It could be from um, things like uh, clostridium. Um, so clostridia infection can, in and can create explosive stools. Um, but quite a few overgrowths of bacteria that produce gas basically can make your stools a bit explosive because you've got all these pockets of air that you've got to expel. Mm. Uh, so that is another thing to consider. And, yeah, the other thing to really look out for is whether you can notice any mucus in your stool. So it's normal that there'd be a little bit of mucus in your stool because your gut is lined by mucus membranes. But if you, you generally can't really see it um, to the naked eye. But if you have excessive mucus production and you can see it on toilet paper in the water bowl, um, then that's also a little red flag to say, hey, there's probably some inflammatory process going on here. So you want to have a look at um, why that is and sort that out. So Could that one, that particular mm. one about the mucus, also yeah. be sometimes just because of a common cold or a, um, a chest infection? I've... I haven't seen that so much, but no. it's, yeah, possibility, I guess. Um, when you're when you do have a common cold or chest infection, that's obviously affecting your mucus membranes too. And even... Um, if you have a think about it, the mucous membranes in our respiratory tract or ear, nose and throat are connected like it's literally yeah. the same piece of tissue. Same piece there's, of plumbing. There's no break <laughs> in it at all um, to the mucous membrane that is lining the gut. It's, it's, all, it's literally one bit of tissue. So what happens in one area can affect what, ha what is happening with the other. Um, so, yes, that's why... We, on the reverse of that, we, we do see that when there are issues with um, food sensitivities that it can create the ear, nose and throat mucus. Ah, of yeah. course, yeah. Okay, so you've mentioned, it, are you done, by the yeah. way? Is that, yeah? It's like how many it's more wrong foods are there? <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously there's the sight and smell tests, but there's some pretty amazing testing that you can do, which I've actually just had done myself. Um, I love being my own little experiment of one and there's a resistant weight loss issue. You know, I'm not over overweight, but I, I'm definitely not the normal weight that I would have been pre-child for example, yeah, and um, and I did a test that ended up exposing that I had zero bifidum, zero, mm, none yeah. of it. This yeah. super beneficial family of bacteria did That's not exist. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, could you talk to us because I just think that was such a revelation for myself to now be able to do such a targeted program around that finding. You know, a lot of people want to get the test done, but then sometimes they maybe go to a regular GP. Not that I'm saying there's mm -hmm. anything wrong with it. GPs. They're yeah. incredible for the function that they serve the community for. Yeah. But there are some pretty amazing tests that you would get done with a naturopath that it seems aren't in our main medical system. Yeah, that's right. There, yeah. There's integrative GPs who and would this is the uh, same do for these the UK, tests, but... the America. It's all yeah. of us. It's not just Australia. Yeah. That's right. And we're really fortunate in Australia because we do have access to an amazing um, lab here, Bioscreen, that does fantastic stool testing. So um, when we're talking about specialised poo testing, we're looking at faecal microbial analysis, basically. Well, there's a, there's a few different ones. There's a comprehensive digestive stool analysis done through a few labs. Um, and then there's the Bioscreen faecal microbial analysis. Now, 
comprehensive digestive stool analysis does give a bit of a breakdown of what kind of bacteria, yeast, and um, potentially parasites are growing or not growing in your gut. Um, but it also shows, you know, whether any detectable vegetable fibers, meat fibers, um, whether any detectable levels of certain enzymes that are markers of inflammation or anything like that. Um, on the other hand, the fecal microbial analysis, it basically just tests for the microbes. It doesn't test those other things like the veggie fibers. Um, now, I use that more, the biosecrete one. The reason being is that for me, I find it more useful in that it gives um, a much more specific breakdown of what is growing in your gut that shouldn't be and what isn't that should be. Mm. Um, and that is essentially what is going to be um, contributing to things like not being able to digest your food well, creating inflammation, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I prefer to look at the microbes um, more specifically than anything else. And when we consider that we're made out of 10 times more microbes than we are human cells, you start to get an idea of how um, significant um, it is that we're playing host to the right kind of bugs, right? Oh, totally. We want to have the right guys over to our personal party. That's it just right. makes That's total right. sense. Yeah. So yeah. we want to play um, host to good tenants so that the tenants then look after us, right? Totally. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when we're looking at the testing, we're looking to pick up things like candida, E. coli levels. Like E. coli gets a bad rap. It's got bad PR. but basi uh, um, We're e. supposed to have some, right? Yeah, it's yeah. actually one of the most important bacteria in the bowel. Mm. So without it, things go really wrong and we can get these massive strep overgrowths and then we get this massive lactic acid production in the gut and then that affects our digestive acids and enzymes and our immune function. It can affect our cognitive function and our, our word recall and memory and our sleep patterns. You know, like it's what goes on in the gut does not stay in the gut it's as... Um, uh, gastroenterologist uh, Alessio Fasano, one of my big nerd crushes, says, you know, the gut is not like Vegas. <laughs> what happens in the gut does not stay in the gut. <laughs> I love that. It's not yeah. like Vegas, baby. Mm -hmm. No. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, then we need to look at our other beneficial bacteria like the Bacteroides and Lactobacillus and Bifidobacteria. Um, and then potential pathogens like Clostridia and Klebsiella and that kind of thing. So, all of these different microbes serve a purpose for us. So we need to understand why they're there if they come up in a stool test. And we also need to obviously understand why some might be missing. And they, they literally carry out hundreds of roles for us. There's things like vitamin production, um, amino acid production, short-chain fatty acid production. Um, you know, they're, they're a primary source of vitamin B12, for example. So mm, That's really interesting because we think of vitamin um, uh, vitamins in us mm. as being solely able to be procured by what we put in our mouths. That's right. Can you just elaborate on that? Because I'd say there would have been a little bit of a, what, we yeah. make vitamins? Yeah, well, we yeah. don't, but our tenants mm. do. So, yeah. Um, We've essentially got these little vitamin and um, amino acid and short-chain fatty acid factories inside of us. So um, just like humans eat and poop, bugs eat and poop too, but fortunately their poop is valuable to us, yeah? So they're byproducts of metabolism are these nutrients that we use. Um, so they'll make amino acids like... Um, tryptophan, for example, which is important for a lot of things, including neurotransmitter production, which is why um, if we have undergrowths of certain species of lactobacillus and bifidofactor, it can affect our moods and behavior and cognitive function. Um, there, uh, E. coli makes a lot of um, butyric acid, which is really important for using as fuel for our colonocytes. So our colonocytes, all the cells lining the colon wall, eat that up and that helps to, they use it for energy and it helps to keep them strong and well-nourished. So if we don't have enough E. coli, then we can often get um, 
um, weak um, colonocytes, basically, that don't have the same kind of integrity or resilience. Right. And can I ask, just using myself as another example here, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a private consultation. This Not is so a, just, just with a few thousand of our friends. Yeah. Um, now, when I would therefore have had a really terrible UTI last year, um, which was found to be E. coli, which I was then put on, unfortunately, I like to save it for absolutely only when I yeah. need it, and this time I really did, antibiotics. Yeah. Mm. Um, that, would that have um, naturally sort of built back up its store or should I have been doing something to build that population back up after that? Um, yeah, round. I would definitely recommend if you are needing to take antibiotics that you do um, do some work to repopulate. Mm, okay. Basically, studies show that it um, takes a good three but more likely 12 months to mm. restore gut flora after antibiotics. Yeah, that's just a three to 12 months. Yeah. And people honestly, unfortunately, are led to believe that a couple of tubs of yogurt is all you need to do. Mm, yeah, no. and, <laughs> Antibiotics. Yeah. yeah, not really going to touch the surface, especially most um, commercial yogurt is, you know, maybe fermented mm. for three hours or something yeah, exactly. like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so important. And, you know, this is why it's just, I cannot stress this enough, get a natural um, naturopath if you're mm. in Australia or a naturopathic physician if you're in the US. Um, uh, just get one in your corner because yeah, then sure. you can use in tandem both systems to their best advantage yeah. um, and both are looking out for you with the things that they each both know so well mm. how to do, you know. That's right. And um, I think um, while we're talking bugs as well, it's really important that, you know, in a situation where you're having antibiotics and it's a one-off kind of thing and you need to do a few months of probiotics afterwards, generally speaking, taking a multi-strain kind of probiotic um, can be a good approach. But otherwise, when I'm working with anyone to address any chronic immune inflammatory or digestive issue... I am actually very hesitant to prescribe a probiotic without first having done a stool test because you can have overgrowths of good bugs as well and then they're no longer good. So it's quite common for there to be overgrowths of lactobacilli. Um, some people have overgrowths of bifidobacteria and about 98 or probably 99% of um, probiotic supplements have those two um, families of bacteria in there. So it really pays to be picky about what kind of probiotics you use because that can make the difference between, you know, some people will take a probiotic and go, oh, I didn't really feel any difference or some people will take it and go, oh, I feel worse. Well, that could be because A, it might not have been very good quality in the first place or B, it might have bugs that you don't need or C, it might have bugs that you've got too many of. Um, or it might be exacerbating other bugs that you've got too many of. So um, That is fascinating. So you yeah. can literally throw the balance out even worse by taking mm. probiotics. Yeah, And that's something a lot of people, you know, we're so black and white, aren't we? We're like probiotics are good. We must take them or we must eat them through our sauerkraut or we must you know and not for everybody not all the time which is why once again it comes back to seeing someone who knows your specific case as well as um, getting the tests you need to make the judgment calls that your clinician needs to make for you and with you mm. yeah that's right it's so important to get that kind of individualized approach there's there's good general guidelines but most of us aren't general yeah most of us don't fit in the average <laughs> yeah exactly that's so true um now i might bring up one more thing that does yes again i'm going to admit it have something to do with me and a recent medical procedure i had to have on my eye i had a blocked tear duct and um uh, unfortunately it wasn't one of those ones that you could just flush out with a saline solution i had to have whole board through my nose and up and a stent put in thank god it's silicone at least i felt better about the fact that it wasn't plastic <laughs> yeah. um, um but what obviously happened to me straight after the operation was i got put on a panadol iv um, i got put on an eye antibiotic a gut antibiotic um 
and and I, I've just finished a week of those. And what I can tell you, and my audience now knows more about me and my poo <laughs> than my own family probably knows, which is hilarious. But, you know, I'm doing this for us guys, um, is that my poo has turned into nothing too sinister or anything, but it's those little tiny rabbit pellets, just one after the other. And I'm eating truckloads of veg. Is it just going to be something that resolves itself over time or is there something I would say post recovery yeah. can we do something to support um perhaps minimize the level of damage these things can do to us? Yeah, I would look at doing a bit of targeted support um, for you myself, considering what you've just been through. That's a bit of a ring. And we know that things like Panadol, for example, can wipe out E. coli and we know that low E. coli can result in constipation. So, um, yeah, that would be something to consider yeah okay cool because you know so many of us have to have an operation or our kid has to have an operation and you can't get away with not taking a course of antibiotics after an operation and I have to say I'm quite grateful for them because yeah yeah oh, they're there important medicines they need to be yeah, used that's about, it yeah only when needed yeah. yeah and I think these days unfortunately um, well, for the last couple of decades, yeah, we've we've used them far too frequently. Um, but yeah, they are a life-saving medication, and they should be used as such. Yeah, yeah. cool. Mm. So yeah, thanks for talking about that because I think we we feel like we, in inverted commas, get over the operation process mm-hmm. itself and get on with our lives, but. Maybe a bit there of are parts of our bodies that, mm-hmm. yes, as you say, super duper important to do a bit of a clean up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Um, okay, let's come back to constipation. Mm. Um, how do we go about getting to the root cause of it? As you said just then, we're all so different. Are there any general rules of thumb or perhaps some kind of checklisty items we could go through to get to the root cause of constipation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there can be um, a lot of a lot of causes of constipation. Yeah, it can be um, things like not um, having enough fluid, not being hydrated enough. We're we're often quite um, um, dehydrated these days um, for a couple of reasons. A lot of us don't eat enough veggies, which is a great source of water, or drink enough water, clean water itself. Um, Veggies provide the other benefit of providing um, good quality fibre as well Um, and it is a food source that our um, bugs thrive off um, without giving them a bit of a sugar party. So things like starches, um, really starchy foods can create a bit of dysbiosis because bugs have a bit of a feeding frenzy on there but the slower to digest fibres from veggies, particularly above ground plants, are really good. Awesome. That's so, so just because we're right there and you've literally just alluded to this, Mm -hmm. um, grains, therefore Mm. not the amazing saving main staple of our diets we believe they should be, right? That's right. That's right. So in fact, um, the fiber in grains can be quite abrasive um, for starters. So increasing fiber from grains can actually be counterproductive and create more irritation um gluten containing grains as well if you've got leaky gut situation going on you can actually get an opiate like effect from it because um gluten peptides so partially broken down gluten looks very similar in shape to opiates and so it can cross the blood brain barrier and attach to opiate receptors and Anybody who's taken opiates, um, like codeine, for example, will know that one of the side effects of that is constipation. Mm. So these foods can be really constipating. Yeah, absolutely. And and feel good, which is the worst part about it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very confusing when something gives you that kind of chilled out buzz and and Mm. you think, well, that must be good for me. But no, unfortunately, it's (laughs) no better than a harsh painkiller medication. Yeah, Yeah. well, it's probably a bit better than that. Well, maybe, yeah. (laughs) I just want to hammer a point home. Let (laughs) me hammer my point home. I get your point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's some other really simple tips as well in terms of dealing with constipation. One of the biggest ones is chew your food, yeah, so... 
how many people are just, you know, and I'm guilty of this at times as well because who's not in a rush these days? So we're in so much of a rush that we often um, just inhale our food rather than chew it. Um, And it never ceases to amaze me what a difference chewing makes. Like when I have been out of rhythm and woofing down my food, I definitely feel a difference with my digestion. And then I make a point to chew my food. And it's a good little exercise to, um, say, do a week of chewing every mouthful 20 times, for example, because in that time you will be amazed by what kind of an impact it has on your bowels, yeah? So um, there's a good little challenge for you. So chew your food. It's really important to um, be in routine as well. Like our everything in life is um, a rhythm, yep. So we, whether it's um, days, nights, seasons, um our body clock at you know monthly rhythms or there's so many rhythms um, that our body and our hormones are dictated by and when we're out of rhythm that often um, impedes things like our bowel habits for example um, a lot of people will notice this when um, crossing time zones and doing international travel can really affect bowels and one of the reasons for that is that change in that disruption in rhythm Um, so, you know, routine and rhythm, going to bed at a good time, ideally by 10 o'clock, um, getting a good eight hours. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of people that went, okay, she's just lost me. I'm done. (laughs) Ideally, I said, you know, (laughs) things aren't perfect all the time. I like to aim for half the week. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Um, and then things like digestive bitters or lemon juice or apple cider vinegar in water 20 minutes before meals can be great. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely recommend not drinking water with meals. So you want to leave a 20-minute gap either side of eating. Yes. this Everyone is always tortured by me stopping my child drinking mid-meal or having water with a meal. I'm like, no, he's had a, he's had a drink of water just before dinner. Yeah. He's done. Yeah. Doesn't need yeah. it. Exactly. Chew and better. <laughs> that's right. And that water with meals is just going to dilute um, though and alkalize those digestive acids. Yeah. Mm. So for good digestion, we need not to be drinking with meals. Um, And liver support herbs can be fantastic for constipation because sluggish liver activity and sluggish bile production can cause constipation and that can then actually put more of a load on the liver as well and it becomes this vicious cycle. So, um, yeah, there's some beautiful herbs for liver support like dandelion root, St. Mary's thistle, um, burdock root, all sorts of beautiful herbs to use for that. Brilliant. And can I just ask at this point, only because people uh, naturally kind of believe that anything you buy over the counter is safe and good for you and fine, um, would there be any kind of a product out there that you could go, oh, I wouldn't mind supporting my liver today, might go to the health food shop and grab one off the shelf that says liver support. Is it safe to do that? Um, So long as you're getting from a good source, most of the time, Brands that are available to the general public are reasonably safe to take. Um, you know, obviously it's it's far better if you can see a practitioner because then you can make sure you are getting something that is actually suitable for you and your needs because there's a whole different range of um, types of uh, liver support preparations and some are going to suit um, some people better than others depending on you know what else is going on with your health are you taking any medications that might interact with all of these things should be taken into consideration so I'm much more a fan of um, speaking to a practitioner Um, you can get some really beautiful teas though I think herb teas are a nice safe way to go Um, so those herbs I just mentioned before are available, um, as loose leaf herbal teas from good. Great. Yeah. And maybe people who are on a bit more of a budget who think, oh, I just don't have the hundred bucks to go and see a naturopath and that's Mm. completely understandable. So I just want to reiterate, there's always something you can do. So I'll give you a little tip here Mm. is to go to a health food shop that has an in-house naturopath Mm. so that you can at least have a few brief to and from questions and she or he can um, 
help you with you in mind because this whole frenzy of buying herbs online where you've got no help, um, certainly no naturopath to tell you, oh, yeah, you might want to just watch out for this if you're already taking that. You know, it's just that human contact is so important. Yeah, and when you're buying online as well, you don't know the source of the products Mm -hmm. and especially if they're products from overseas, they have um, often far laxer guidelines than we have here. So, yeah, you want to make sure that what you're getting is actually what it says you're getting Mm -hmm. and that it's appropriate for you and that you'd be taking it at a dose that's going to be effective as well. Awesome. So for constipation as a little checklist you can start doing with your on your own, it's up those veggies. That's right. Experiment with taking down the grains a notch or two, um, even experiment with removing gluten if that's not something you've mm. already tried. Casein um, is an opioid-like um, peptide as well, so gluten and casein out. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and then step two is to just maybe dip your toe in the water with some liver support and see if that helps by either seeing a naturopath or an mm. in-store naturopath in a health shop. That's Anything right. else? Um, there's a few things like you can use um, psyllium husks or slippery elm powder or um, flax seeds or chia seeds. They can help. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is, you know, general guidelines. There will be some people who might feel quite bloated on one or other of those things. Um, so starting off on a small amount like half a teaspoon, for example, would, and then slowly building up until you find your effective dose. These are bulking agents. So yeah. rather than being laxatives, they will um, help improve bowel habits, whether you've got diarrhea or constipation. Um, the way they do that is if there's um, diarrhea and too much water in the, in the bowel, it will absorb that and create a nice um, solid soft poop mm-hmm. and if there's not enough water in there they'll draw water into the bowels but it's important that you drink plenty of water with it if you're taking it for constipation and then it'll soften the stool and make it much easier to pass okay great mm. um, now something that I found really interesting at the recent mind foundation conference mm. was hearing one of the biomedical um, pediatricians talking about this idea of fecal loading Mm. Um, now I've heard of carb loading for marathon. <laughs> I'd never heard Slightly of fecal diff- loading. Slightly different. <laughs> so basically, from what I can understand, is that built up poop can build up inside you, and that you've kind of briefly touched on that already. Yeah. And you can be going every day, but still, technically, because of how much is built up inside you, you can still be actually constipated. Yeah, that's right. And it can actually present like diarrhea because it might only be watery um, stool or watery matter that's actually able to pass through the small gap that's left in the lumen or, or the you know the tube of the intestine because it's otherwise so full okay so um, that's what you so, were talking about before yeah mm. so it can look either look like diarrhea or it can come out like a really skinny um poo and both of those can be indications of that fecal impaction um often you can get clues around that as there will be quite a distended um Uh, belly abdomen Mm -hmm. Um, there can be quite a bit of tenderness on palpation so when you press into the abdomen particularly around where you find the the colon so um, is that that valve between the Oh, that's the ileocecal valve. Yes. Yeah, you that's where my get, chiropractor. Yeah, very tender. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So you can get a very tender ileocecal valve. That's where the small intestine joins the large intestine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all around the large intestine can be quite full. And on, um, if necessary, some some kids um, and adults, for that matter, are sent off for X-ray, and you can see the impaction on X-ray. Wow! Mm-hmm. And how do we fix that? Is that an enema sort of situation? Yeah, that can be done through a few different methods. So um, regular enemas mm-hmm. um, is one way. You know, one is not going to do it, but you need to do quite a few to gradually loosen up the material. That's re- it's like it's concreted to the mm. sides of the wall. Yeah, so it can take a bit of time to loosen it up. Um, so yeah, enemas are one. Um, a little later down the track, colonic irrigation for um, not so much for kids, usually more for adults, can be utilised. 
Um, magnesium oxide uh, salts can be used for a bit of a bowel flush, but it should, I would prefer people do all of these kinds of things. You know, if there's fecal impaction, you're wanting to get the guidance of a practitioner so that you don't end up causing yourself more pain by trying to flush things out inappropriately. I can never say see a naturopath enough. I really can't. It's just amazing how much people try and do on their own and make some pretty massive um, guesses at their own health off the back of someone's blog post. And there's nothing wrong with the writing of a, a blog post or a, a podcast indeed like this where we discuss the issues but yeah you know use every, the information yes. and talk about it with your practitioner yes, exactly <laughs> use it as a clue to go you know what I need to see someone because That's they right. mentioned this this and this and I'm actually ticking all those boxes yeah so it's time for sure absolutely mm. okay so let's move on to this um, funny little thing called the poop, the like the adult squatty potty. Ah, uh, yes. Um, now, <laughs> very posh when I said that, squatty potty. <laughs> squatty potty. Uh, <laughs> is it a yay, nay? Does it really help? Oh, I'm a big fan, hey. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I love a, um, a good squat. So as humans as well, we're really designed to squat. And and you're, if you go to um, any developing countries, you'll, you'll still see the grandma squatting as their resting position. Yep, so we might be squatting on the side of the road as they, um, you know, are chatting to the neighbours or cooking up a meal or whatever it is. And it is actually the perfect position for us to have a poop in as well. Mm. So, is that how we achieve that elusive S-bend you were talking about at the beginning? Yeah, you can get a much better formed stool, like a, a longer stool, because it doesn't get cut off. There's a ligament that kind of um, loops around the colon. Mm-hmm. And um, when we're seated, that ligament is kind of pulled tighter. Mm-hmm. And so it puts a kink in the colon whereas when we're squatting it's loosened and so there's no kink in the colon and so your poop can pass through freely fantastic Mm. makes sense yeah and you yeah it's particularly good if you've been suffering any constipation or you've been needing to strain um you know you don't even need to invest in a um expensive custom-made squatty potty or anything you can just get a stool um, you know, a small stool to put in front of your um, your toilet and just use that. Yeah, yeah. okay, mm. cool. Yeah, I think, you know, we often think, okay, so that means I've got to buy some really, um, you know, yeah, specific... Just a little kitchen footstool or something like that. Yeah, you know? okay, yeah. so yeah. We, can go, we can go um, DIY on that one. That's good. Right. Yeah. Um, now, what are your top foods that we should be really looking at? You've mentioned obviously the gluten, the casein, um, that can tend to back us up. Mm. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, well, gluten and casein would definitely be, um, two of the biggies and having too much protein or too much meat can be another one. Mm -hmm. And when Um, you say too much, of mm. course, everyone's like, but how much, much what's the perfect amount? Tell me, tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say as a, there's a couple of different guidelines. Um, one is roughly the size of your palm is a portion of protein and, and one portion max per meal. Mm -hmm. Um, or about 100 grams per meal. Okay. Um, Alternatively, the other way you want to look at it as well, because some people, particularly if if they're quite athletic and doing a lot of training, might need a bit more protein. Pregnant and breastfeeding mums would need about 25% more protein. Um, But you want about 80% of your plate to be veggies absolutely and this is the thing when you start bringing that meat down not only am I a huge fan of the environmentally friendly aspect Mm -hmm. of of that but also the fact that you obviously still need to fill up Mm. and if you fill up right that's eating Mm. truckloads of vegetables yeah yeah and that's one thing I love about using paleo as a foundation to build your um diet from basically um and where there is so much misconception as well because a lot of people hear paleo and and um i don't know thanks to media or something think of cavemen eating um bacon on top of a steak on top of a leg <laughs> of lamb and it's um it's actually quite a um low meat um lifestyle so 
you're definitely putting a or wanting to put a focus on largely plants. I, I like Michael Pollan's little eater's manifesto, you know, yeah. eat too much, mostly plants. Um, so, yeah, mostly plants on your plate, a small to moderate amount of protein and then good fats and you're, and you're sorted. And only because some people will be very much just starting out on their journeys out there, mm-hmm. what do you mean by good fats? So good fats, if you're cooking, you want to use things like coconut oil, ghee, um, organic tallow, organic lard, organic duck fat, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get organic tallow very cheaply by making your own bone broth and then saving the fat on top to use in your cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. It's my favorite fat. Yeah, we do it with pork belly as well. We have a full jar of pork fat and it's there in the fridge to use. That's Mm. it. Same if you roast a duck or anything like that. So um, you get to, you know, it's a beautiful no-waste kind of lifestyle mm. as well where you can um, eat really nutrient-dense foods and do so really frugally. Um, so, yeah, they're good fats to cook with. And for using raw, we're talking extra virgin um, cold-pressed olive oil, um, macadamia oil, and then nuts, uh, sorry, then um Fats from nuts and seeds, so not in their oils, but eating the eating the nuts and the seeds. Actual so, nuts and yeah, seeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be having any, um, you know, almond oil or peanut oil or anything like that in the diet because they'll be high in omega six and usually quite rancid and cause oxidative damage. But um, eating raw nuts um, and seeds in moderation, avocados, olives, all that kind of thing provide great fats. Also tasty as well. Absolutely. It's what I love about real food. It's tasty. (laughs) And you just need to learn a few simple cooking techniques that Mm -hmm. make it all delicious all the time and and you're sorted. The excitement shifts from the processed food packet of weirdness shelf, (laughs) um, as I call it, to the nature's bounty shelf, you know, the basket. Absolutely. Just so much more. Just makes sense. At the end of the day, it it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so can I ask then, you know, I know obviously you are a big proponent of um, using paleo as a foundation. Mm. However, are all grains evil? Like should we really all? Because there are some cultures in the world who eat and seem to thrive on um, having grains as a part of their diets. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I don't necessarily think, um, I don't think grains are evil. Yeah. <laughs> but I think... Um, Wow, gosh, there's a there's a few places to go with this. So this is one, a part two. I'll yeah, speak to you in two this months. This is a isn't question it? to answer at the end of a podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, okay. it just, I'm going with the flow. It's all good. It's all good. So, um, generally speaking, these days we've got way too much um, starch at our fingertips. First yeah. and foremost, yep. So. Eliminating grains is one way to dramatically reduce starch content in the diet. Mm -hmm. Um, Grains for a lot of people can be quite inflammatory. Um, Gluten containing grains the most um, in that respect. Um, But what I find is a good approach is if you are wanting to achieve optimal health, you want to get to a baseline level that you have something to compare how you feel with. Mm. So this is where I really like to use paleo because if you're getting all the most nutrient-dense foods in that are typically the easiest to digest, right? So you use that as a base. You do that for a good ideally 10 weeks, yep, so that you give your body a really good chance to um, see what it's like to feel on eating that kind of way. Then if you are, um, you know, you're not trying to deal with any dysbiosis, intestinal overgrowths and things like that, which will require you to have a low starch diet to recover from, Mm. um, then you can look at introducing, you know, see how you go on some quinoa or some buckwheat or maybe a little bit of rice, but, and, and just, make note of how you feel do that n of one you know everybody is a bit different so mm. everybody's what going your poops to... like yeah exactly as well. yeah exactly take note of your poop what's happening there mm. so your body will tell you um what suits you and what doesn't but you need to get a bit of a baseline first otherwise you can't see the forest for the trees right if if you're already suffering from 
um, chronic health issues, whether it's something quite overt and severe or whether it's just mild little niggly things and low energy and a bit of brain fog and that kind of thing. Mm. If you don't kind of strip things back to the um, essentials, then it makes it very hard to know what's doing what because it can take 72 hours for us to have a um, sensitivity reaction to a, a food, for example. So if we've got in 72 hours, in three days, we can be eating all sorts of different things and it can be really impossible to know what is causing us to feel what, yeah? Yeah. So okay. by winding things back, you get to um, a bit of a baseline, then you can reintroduce things and see how you feel. Um, and if you are introducing grains and things like sourdoughs and fermented grains are um, and gluten-free ones are the better way to go or the place to start, mm-hmm. Um, same with dairy. Um, if you're going to reintroduce that, I'd recommend fermented and from the best, cleanest, um, least processed source possible. And the least processed source possible is key, right? There's grains and there's grains. Just like anything else, there's varying degrees of, of not-so-greatness. Um, Absolutely. It's a spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, now, where should we finish? Okay, I I've got an idea. <laughs> um, we've kind of covered, well, right at the start, we really covered the the good, the bad and the ugly. So I think people have a really good idea of at what point they might be needing to go see someone about what's coming out in their toilet. Um, but what about um, like your favourite tips? You, When we were talking about uh, like the circadian rhythms and, and having rhythm, that kind of all equates to nature. Absolutely. Could you just kind of help us have a look at what a good poop routine might look like? Yeah. Well, what should we be I'm, aiming for? In terms of timing yeah, or what do like we Like is there a time yeah. of day that's best to like literally put pooing into our routine? Well, um, often first thing in the morning is considered um, ideal. Mm-hmm. And then um, like before food even? Yeah, even before food. If we're looking at body clock rhythms as well, often around the 6 to 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. mark is when our um, digestive tract will be most active. Right. So often at that time people get the call of nature. Okay. So Um, if we're sleeping through that, are we literally kind of already disrupting nature's routines from the very start of the day? Possibly, possibly. Mm. I certainly, um, I don't have enough data on that to say as a big, um, Mm. you know, kind of population study, but I'm sure that there are people who know a lot more about rhythm than I do. Mm. I certainly know from my own experience that, um, the time I go to bed and the time I wake up definitely affects the timing of my bowel habits throughout the day. And, um, yeah, if I don't get up at my usual time or if I have to get up in a rush and and race and I don't have, you know, I can't take my time in the morning, Mm -hmm. then, um, (laughs) you know, you're not in that rest or digest mode then. So your your gut's not thinking about, okay, it's it's time to go to the loo. It's um, so should we be adding up. a third word to rest, digest, and should that third word be rest, digest, eliminate? Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, and that is used um, in some resources as well. So and eliminate is not only via the bowels too. This is going into a totally different topic, but or well, not totally different, but it's going on a tangent. Mm. Um, I'm tangent queen, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> But um, our general metabolic pathways of detoxification do not work so well if we're in a chronic state of stress because, again, we're in that fight or flight mode and um, your body is more concerned with staying alive than um, staying in mint condition. Mm. So, therefore, um, processes of detoxification and elimination um, slow down or shut off and instead that energy is put towards you know um, increasing blood flow blood pressure um, dilating pupils getting blood to the extremities and to muscles so that you can run or fight um, rather than rest digest and eliminate yes I don't worry I won't be making (laughs) t-shirts 
I just think Why we not? should really start to include this in our thinking mm. as to, to lead a healthy life. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was an hour of power. How that was an hour, I have no idea. I feel like it went so fast. Yeah, and I'm sure we could talk for another hour just on, on poo and, and the bugs in it. Yeah, I really think we could. You will have to come back. Would love to. Um, now, what what's coming up for you? You mentioned a couple of things right at the start, but can you reiterate those? And I just want to also reiterate that there are a stack of show notes uh, from today's episode, so be sure to check those out on the website. But yes, Helen, leave us with what what can we do now to get more of your goodness? Um, well, some exciting news. I've got a um, another book coming out in November on gut health, and that is um, with Pete Evans as well. So there'll be a bunch of really good um, gut-friendly recipes in there, yes. along with um, a nice good section on the importance of gut health and how your digestion actually works and um, what kind of things are important to have a look at if um, um, things aren't working so well and what kind of implications that has outside of the gut. So Mm -hmm. autoimmune conditions and um, chronic inflammatory disorders and eczema and asthma and all that kind of stuff. So that's November. working on getting a new website up that will have a lot more resources available. Yeah, and that's super soon, right? We've only got about a month to wait on that. I hope so, yeah. That's that's the um, goal. So if you um, do want to be notified of when that will happen, then please sign up to the um, nourished.com newsletter and we'll send you um, notification of when that's up. Yay, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. So much generous information mm-hmm. on one of the more taboo topics out there in health today. Should be called uh, um, taboo. <laughs> taboo. <laughs> I love poo puns. I just find them hilarious. Oh, yeah, it might just be us. <laughs> I seriously make myself laugh so much. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, No one else needs to hear this anymore. So I'm signing (laughs) off with you now. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to check out those show notes. Thanks, Helen. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Low Tox Life podcast. I would love for you to check out the show notes as well. And you can find those at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. Now, if there's anything that inspired you from today's episode, I would so love to hear and have you share that maybe online. Use the Low Tox Life hashtag and I can be found on Twitter or Instagram at A-L-E-X-X underscore Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. Now, if you liked what you heard today and you want to join us again next time, subscribing is a great way to be notified of a new episode. So hit subscribe and I look forward to welcoming you next time. Bye for now. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.